The reading this morning is taken from Luke chapter 1, verses 57 to 80. That's Luke chapter 1, starting at verse 57. The birth of John the Baptist. When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbours and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy and they shared her joy. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. But his mother spoke up and said, No, he is to be called John. They said to her, There's no one among your relatives who has that name. Then they made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child. He asked for a writing tablet, And to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, his name is John. Immediately, his mouth was opened and his tongue was loosed, and he began to speak, praising God. The neighbours were all filled with awe, and throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about all these things. Everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, what then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. His father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come and redeemed his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through his holy prophets in the long ago. Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant the oath he swore to our father Abram, to rescue us from the land of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he lived in the desert until he appeared publicly to Israel. There are just one or two uh, visitors here this morning. You're most welcome. And just to let you know, we're doing a series in Luke chapter 1. And now we've arrived at this section, which was just read to us. And we're thinking about what is commonly known as the Benedictus, or a benediction, or a blessing, which was conferred upon this uh, mature couple, Zachariah and Elizabeth. And in today's reading of Luke, we're setting the scene because it's part of a build-up to the coming of the Messiah. But what it is doing is giving people then and giving us now a little glimpse of the glory and the grace and, if you like, the sheer joy of the coming of the Lord Jesus. It's not simply a historic fact not simply part of Advent, not just the 
commercial celebration, but a baby is born, God becomes a man and enters into our human experience. The sheer joy of the birth of the Messiah, the Lord Jesus. Luke's Gospel, if you were to take time to read it, you will see that it is a Gospel of joy. The recurring theme of joy, often the missing dimension in our Christian lives. Eight times in 1 and 2, this reference to joy comes. And the context of that joy is very important and very significant. Just think for a moment of these uh, great prayers that come in these opening chapters. We encounter them in the context of the coming of the Messiah. What Luke is doing is saying, you know, this is a gospel of joy. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. And the Psalms capture this in anticipation of the momentum of ultimately the birth of the Lord Jesus. These, if you like, are the great prayers and songs of the Christian faith. Now, just let me illustrate how the media can miss the point. And I think that's why being here this morning is a good thing. Think of, of the hundreds, the thousands of time and the media that have been preoccupied, and you might say rightly so, with the death of a remarkable man, Nelson Mandela. And as we are here today, he is being laid to rest in his hometown. Has the media ever said that at a formative time in his life that he went to a Methodist school? Have they said that he used the prayer book of which these songs would be there? Have they said that he took communion at Robin Island? No, the media is not interested in spiritual issues. I'm sorry, they're not. And in a way, coming here like this is to remind us that this whole spiritual dimension isn't something that we should take for granted. It shapes and impacts our lives. When you think of these great songs, they are, they are powerful in their prophetic coming to be fulfilled in life and time. They're not just written by clever musicians. Thank God for clever musicians and inspired musicians. Last night we were singing Handel's Messiah. It's amazing. It's, it's extraordinary. It's not like that. These are worked out through the cauldron of suffering and challenge. I, how many hundreds of times over this past week have we heard Kose Sikuleli? It's a very powerful uh, anthem. You know, I, we're used to listening to uh, the Springbok, as they come to our country and sing before the, the, the rugby internationals, or the rugby encounters. I think Kosti Sikaleli is as good as the Hakka, quite frankly. It's got passion. And it, it's a nation that has been born out of suffering and injustice. And here are the people who are forged together as part of their great history. God bless Africa. Now, that's within the prevailing culture. But no less so these great songs here. And we're now moving from the Magnificat, which we've sung just now. And it is quite magnificent, isn't it, that Jesus should come in the way that he, that he, that he did. And now this is a very human thing. We come to this Benedictus, chapter 1, verses 58 to 80. And we're going to look at this, in, not in a great deal of detail. When you get to chapter 2, you will see the Gloria. The, just a little glimpse of the glory of heaven 
And no wonder the Bible says, eye has not seen, ear has not heard, heart not conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. Pity those who don't. And then finally, the nunc dimittis. To live well and to die well, let your servant depart in peace. I've seen your salvation, the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. All of which is a great challenge for us as we're responding in praise rather than analytically. Now, I've, I've spent a bit of time preparing this sermon, right? I've looked at certain books, commentaries, done a bit of thinking, done a bit of preparation, cross-reference and so forth. And if now you'd say, yeah, you know, that was a good sermon. I can see where it's going analytically. I can see it fits in with this, this and this. Yeah, that was good and I'll go home. I think you'd miss the point. I certainly would. Because in a way, singing and expressing psalms and prophetic words are more than just agreeing. There is something very human about this. So my prayer today is not that we approach it analytically. Of course we need to do that, but much, much more. That we may be so filled with the Holy Spirit that our lives would be characterized by joy. Now I'm not... Well, let me give you a, a, a quote from one of the... Uh, of the, the books I was reading. It's, it's coming in front of you now. And I, just think about it. Take this with you. And I ask myself, and you ask yourself, when did you last experience the searing joy that scorches the heart? Chances are it's been a very long time. We, Wesley's famous comment that he came to faith, the Lord warmed his heart. But mild Methodism won't do here. No, no. More like the two on the road to Emmaus looking back over their journey and one says to the didn't our hearts burn within us? Didn't they burn within us? The searing joy that scorches the heart, purging the heart, if you like, and then with unfettered joy come before the Lord. You see, this is very human. This is very human. And I want to give you now, to draw you into the narrative with, with four contrasts. Come with me as we, as we, you'll see the verses unfold and I just comment as we go through. Number one, this series of contrasts. You have, how extraordinary, an unbelieving priest could be an unbelieving pastor. Look at chapter 1, verse 20. Just get a little sense of where we are. Just turn over one page. Look at this. And now, this is chapter 1, verse 20, speaking, the angel speaking to Zechariah, and now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words. He's in church. He's reading the word and there's a massive disconnect. And don't we know how easy it is to do that? That's the first, if you like, situation. Right? An unbelieving priest. Look at the contrast. Get to uh, stay in chapter 1. Look at verse 67. Okay? Unbelieving. Now... His father, Zechariah, father of John, who became John the Baptist, was filled with the Holy Spirit and 
prophesied, and it is a prophetic word, not a pathetic word. So much in the Christian life is, is an impoverished expression of what the Bible is telling us. Pitiful. No, no, prophetic. And look, how does it unfold? Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come and redeemed his people. What a great contrast that is. Someone who's nothing to say, now has got everything to say. And what, what's the difference? He's filled with the Holy Spirit. You, our, our prayer, and I have it in my notes, yes, but do it in our day. It's very human, isn't it? Do it in our day. That's the first contrast. Look at the second. As I say to you, this is very human, very poignant. Turn back to chapter 1 and look at verse 6. Here's a lovely couple. You, you see their, uh, their background in verse 5. The time of Herod, King Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. You know, they are pure kosher, top-draw religion. But not only that, both of them were upright in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and regulations blamelessly, but they had no children. So here are a childless couple going on in years. Now, look at the contrast. Look in chapter 1, verse 57. I just want you to um, make the connection. The birth of John called the Baptist. Verse 57. So you have a childless couple who become parents later in life. You wonder how they managed, wouldn't you? But when it came to the time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son, and, and so forth. The third contrast, a silent priest who has nothing to say, or can't say anything, perhaps more accurately, to a priest giving praise to God. You see these sharp contrasts. A silent priest, verse 64 immediately, verse 63, he asked for a writing tablet because he couldn't speak, and everyone astonished when he wrote the name John. Immediately, his mouth was opened and his tongue was loosed and he began to speak praises to God. And what a source of astonishment to, to the neighbors and so forth. A silent priest now giving praise to God. Look at um, verse 68. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come and redeemed his people. He has raised up a horn. You know, you think of these great rhinos and, and, and uh, the tusks of elephants where people are prepared to, to kill them only for that. Symbol of power and strength and everything. What a mighty contrast this is. Giving praise to God. And of course, the hymns and Isaac Watts and how blessed we are through the Methodist movement. Charles Wesley, who's speaking about this coming of the Holy Spirit, bringing people into spiritual new birth, uses the language of the senses. Hear him, you deaf. His praise, you dumb. You loosen tongues, employ. You blind, behold, your Savior come. Leap, you lame, for joy. See the senses. See what he's saying. This isn't a little bit of religion on a Sunday giving praise to God. And the fourth and final contrast here, and that's how this gets its roots, is it, 
it's a benediction, not a benedictus. You see it, you come back again to chapter 1, verse 5, which we've already read. These are very godly people. Children of the covenant, devout and you know what, sometimes some people say, you know, says, yes, I'm a Christian, but that's a real Christian. That doesn't make sense, but people say that sometimes. The, here they are. And it's a personal blessing. And it's a tribal blessing. And it's a priestly blessing. Personal to them as a couple. To the division of Abijah. But that's nothing because she's from the descendants of Aaron, the Aaronic priesthood. In religion. Wouldn't it be immensely sad if they just stopped there? I have a sense sometimes that as believers we like that. You may be your first, second, third generation Christian, and yeah, how blessed are you? And what are we doing with this Benedictus? Did they just say, yeah, isn't this good? How are we going to be parents? close the door and live a life of self-indulgent. No. What is the benediction? Well, come again to chapter 1 and verse 78 and 79 this time. Because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven. There it is. This benediction for them, yes, but look, to shine on those living in darkness. You won't have to go far from your house to meet people who are living in darkness. And those in the shadow of death to guide their feet into the path of peace. How good is our blessing? You see the point, this benediction. So, from the personal now extends to Israel, but wait a moment, the momentum and to the Gentiles. This wonderful blessing to the Gentiles. We're going to pause and take time out and the psalm is going to come for you. And I want you to make a connection with this. Here it is. You, don't have, you can turn to it in your Bibles if you like, but um, here's the psalm. Right? Now, look carefully. We're going to read it together. Right? And try to make the connection with this Benedictus. And the point that I would like to make is this. Um, that... Uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth would have known this, would have sung this in the temple, probably recited as part of their prayers in the normal way. But now they are experiencing it. And that momentum, look how it begins and the ripples are felt until it's the end of the earth. This is a, a powerful prophetic psalm that fits into this Benedictus. So, together, with that in mind, let's read it. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us so that your ways may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. May the peoples praise you, O God. May all the peoples praise you. May the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you rule the peoples with equity and guide the nations of the earth. May the peoples praise you, O God. May all the peoples praise you. Then the land will yield its harvest, and God, our God, will bless us. God will bless us. 
and all the ends of the earth will fear him. You see it? You see the momentum? And there's a sense at which the psalm is finding its prophetic fulfillment now in the life of just one solitary couple. Now you think what God could do in our lives, in whatever our circumstances are today. Zechariah and Elizabeth, they knew the psalm of praise. Now they are experiencing it in the power of the Spirit. And that's what we need to do much more. God will bless us. And all the ends of the earth, you see the ripples being felt much wider and further afield. And in the goodness of God, John was to prepare the way for the coming of a Saviour. And you know, when he said, I must decrease and he must increase, he meant it. He meant it. It's a great thing to leave such a good legacy, isn't it? Humanly speaking, like Mandela. That may well, history may, you never know, stopped an almighty bloodbath in South Africa with all the background to the injustices there. God will bless us. All the ends of the earth will revere him. I think now then come back to the human side that although Zechariah is the proudest father in all Israel and probably the oldest as well, the subject of praise is not baby John, but baby Jesus, the Messiah. And, and don't miss the point. The Messiah will come. God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that as we believe in him, we will not perish but have eternal life to prepare the way. What a great thing for us to lay a bridge of friendship in our work, in our families, in our communities, with our unbelieving friends, and I hope we've got a lot of them, to lay a bridge of friendship so that they can cross over and meet Jesus Christ to prepare the way for the coming of Jesus don't miss the point. And what a wonderful thing it is here. Three times the theme of mercy appears in chapter 1. Like three cups of cold water on a hot day. Look at verse 58, for example. Three occasions where this idea of mercy occurs. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy and they shared her joy. Can you enter into the joy of others when you don't have it yourself? Well, you need to be filled with the Spirit to do that. It's a great mercy. Look at verse 72. To show, the, to show mercy to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. God is true to his word. It's a mercy. And finally, verse 78. Because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come from heaven and give you a blessing.
just to try to uh, conclude then. I want to give you a rubbish illustration. I was telling, I know, Peter Warner, that um, Jonathan Agnew, the consummate commentator on Radio 4 on cricket, said this morning, if you were listening, perhaps you should have been listening to something more edifying, the English team are going to lose the ashes and they're rubbish. Now, it's very unlike him to say. Jeffrey Boycott would say that, but not Jonathan Agnew. My illustration is rubbish, but it's not like that. It's literal. And here it is. Um, And the reason for it is, if you read verse 77 as I speak, it will become obvious. Thursday evening before the church members' meeting, I noticed that my neighbor had put out the wrong wheelie bin. It was the recycling one, and it should have been the rubbish one. So I went in and took... He's quite an elderly gentleman, and... uh, his recycling bin, got the wheelie bin. I thought that was a nice thing to do. But I forgot to put our bin out. (laughs) Now, I went out in my, half in my pyjamas to catch the refuse collectors. To no avail. Don't forget, it's the one that you have the food as well. You know that one that you have this biodegradable bags and stuff and if you keep it a long time it does interesting things. So I went around the village to try to catch the... (laughs) I did. Now, you know, it's not a big village and the dust cart's got a light going around it, it's holding up all the traffic. A blind man would find it. Could I find it? I couldn't find it anywhere at all. So I came home and I'm carrying this rubbish in the boot. And I started to look at other people's rubbish bins. I said, how can I... Um, you know, you think, are people watching you? If you could... Put... But it's early in the morning. You can do it at night. I've done it at night. I know, I have. But not in the morning, because it's... You know. So, how, what are you going to do with your rubbish? So it's in the boot. So we went to Aylesbury. I know. I've never done that before. Going all the way to Aylesbury. You pay your rates for people to pick up your rubbish and you carry it around. Now, we, we sometimes call it some... We talk about some people. I heard somebody once talk about somebody else who was linked to this church who said he has more baggage than Terminal 5. And that's a terrible thing to say about one person. I, I don't think they're here this morning. So it's... So. We call it baggage, you know, the sort of stuff that our lives are. Or the Bible calls it sin. Now, you just think, what if I think, well, I can live with that, it's not a big deal. I'll leave it for a week. Or nobody knows, nobody knows I've got rubbish in my boot. Who's going to look in my boot? Nobody knows. I'll leave it. I'll just get on with life. You see what I'm saying, don't you? All that rubbish. The Bible is more specific because it's sin. It blights our lives. It bogs us down. And we need to get rid of it. We shouldn't be carrying it so long. 
So when you come to this prophetic word in verse 77, to give his people the knowledge of salvation, here's the rubbish, it's there, I know it's there. What am I going to do about it? Get rid of it. What? Through the forgiveness of their sins. The forgiveness of their sins. Get rid of the rubbish. And what's the application then? Just three things very quickly. When darkness surrounds us, God's word gives us peace. You see that in verse 79. To shine on those living in darkness, in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the path 